As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter 1. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy-to-read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. are listening to the first ever episode of the C.S. Lewis podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath. I'm Ruth Jackson and over this first series of the podcast, Alistair and I will be looking at some of Lewis's thoughts around significant topics such as friendship, suffering and the hope of heaven. You can find out more about the C.S. Lewis podcast by heading to cslewispodcast.com. C.S. Lewis is one of the most influential voices in modern Christianity. The 20th century British writer and lay theologian has profoundly impacted Christians around the world and brought many atheists and agnostics to faith in Jesus. One person whose faith was greatly encouraged by the writings of C.S. Lewis is Professor Alistair McGrath. Both men were raised in Northern Ireland, studied at Oxford University and went on to become professors there. They also both came to faith from atheism slightly later in life. Alistair has written numerous books on C.S. Lewis, including a seminal biography, C.S. Lewis, A Life, which is published by Hodder. If you would like to get your hands on a free copy of this book, then we would love you to post about the C.S. Lewis podcast on social media. Use the hashtag C.S. Lewis podcast on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and include a link to our website, cslewispodcast.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. And obviously, the more you share about the podcast, the more likely you are to win one of Professor Alistair McGrath's books. On today's episode of the podcast, we will be looking particularly at what C.S. Lewis thinks about the meaning of life. Alistair McGrath, welcome to the podcast. Now, you are the, I'm going to probably pronounce this wrong, the Andrios Idrios Professor of Religion and Science at Oxford University. Is that right? I am indeed, yes. And what does that involve, Alistair? Well, it involves um, thinking about the relationship between Christianity and science, which is all very exciting. Uh, And in kind of ways, if you like, it's an obvious culmination of my career because I, I began studying science as an atheist, then discovered Christianity. So I wanted to see how Christianity and science fitted together and actually discovered C.S. Lewis was rather helpful doing that. So uh, I've actually learned a lot from C.S. Lewis during the course of my career. You sort of, you talk about him as a kind of unofficial mentor in your Christian walk. How did you, how did you get into C.S. Lewis? Well, I, I come from Northern Ireland. I was, like Lewis, I was born in Belfast. And actually, like Lewis, I discovered Christianity in Oxford. Um, but when I d- came up to Oxford, I was an atheist and I was reading science and I thought, you know, this, this is just not a serious option. But then discovered that Christianity really made a lot more sense than I had realized and so began the walk of faith 
and was looking for a traveling companion. I didn't find one. And then I was bothering my friends saying, well, what about the Trinity then? Asking them <laughs> difficult questions. And in desperation, they said, why don't you read C.S. Lewis? He'll sort you out. Now, I hadn't <laughs> actually really thought of reading C.S. Lewis because I didn't know very much about him. I recognized the name. I knew he'd written a book about wardrobes or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, so I did. And I, I bought, um, they asked for a paper and I started to read some of the papers. And I thought, my goodness, this guy can write. And he, he's got some wonderful ideas and they're answering my questions. So I, I discovered in C.S. Lewis back in 1974, a traveling companion. And you know, I, he's still walking with me today. Mm. He's, he's great. And you, I would imagine, would say that C.S. Lewis is still relevant today. There are still things that we can learn and read. And perhaps we need to sort of tweak the language slightly if we're talking to young people about Lewis. But he's still relevant today, you'd say. I would say Lewis basically is touching on things that are so deep and so significant that each generation will find something in him that they will take away. Now, of course, his language, his imagery, perhaps dates from the 1940s and 1950s, but we can easily make a allowances for that. And for me, one of the remarkable things about Lewis is he's able to use um, an appeal to the imagination along with an appeal to the reason in ways that very few other writers can do. So I think in many ways, Lewis is a kind of writer who once you discover, you kind of always stay with him. You may find you prefer this book to that book, but there's always something you keep coming back to. And each time you come back to it, you find things you didn't find the previous time round. We'll hear much more of your own journey and the impact that C.S. Lewis had on that. We'll also hear more of C.S. Lewis's faith journey, how he went from atheism to Christianity. But how did you start? You obviously started reading him from a personal capacity, but you've done quite a lot of rigorous study. You've written lots of books about C.S. Lewis. How did that all start? Well, that started really because as I read Lewis, um, I began to realized that, for example, the existing biographies of Lewis were very often written by um, people who didn't know Oxford very well. And of course, I was an Oxford insider. You know, I, I was a head of house. I was a, held a chair at Oxford University. I began to realize that actually Lewis's Oxford life needed a senior Oxford figure to write about. And also, of course, Lewis was Irish. Uh, and Lewis was born in Belfast. He was proud of that. Even in his late life, he kept on calling himself an Irishman. Well, so am I. <laughs> and so I just thought I might be able to bring some things like the Irish links, the Oxford connection, and use those to illuminate aspects of Lewis's life, which maybe needed further study. And so I added to my enjoyment of reading Lewis with a fairly detailed account of his life, including, of course, deep reflection, not simply on the date of his conversion, but also the reasons for that conversion. And I find that really helpful. It Lewis is like a mirror. I saw myself reflecting him to some extent. But I also began to realize just how significant Lewis is. And actually, I mean, we, we all say, I'm sure people can do better than Lewis. Well, I'm waiting for that to happen, I'm afraid. I mean, Lewis is brilliant in himself, but we keep on reading him because nobody better than Lewis has yet emerged on the scene. And I don't want to give away everything that we're going to be talking about in the podcast. But is there one thing that you read or you experienced or you heard about that particularly surprised you? or I guess was something you just didn't know about C.S. Lewis in your journeys? I think one of the things that really surprised me about Lewis was just realising how important his Irish background was. And he, he once said that if he was to think of heaven, he would describe it as Oxford transferred to County Down. <laughs> 
So, I mean, that struck me as being very, very strange. But actually, as I thought about it, I could see what he meant. It took me by surprise. Mm. But actually, it was a beautiful visual image. For those of you who know Oxford and know County Down, you might be able to see what he was getting at. So let's talk a little bit about what C.S. Lewis thought about the meaning of life. But I suppose before we do that, something that's so informed what he thought about the meaning of life, what impact Christianity had. Um, we can't really talk about that without talking about his faith journey. So let's start right at the very beginning. What was C.S. Lewis's experience of God as a young child? Well, as a young child, Lewis um, didn't really have what, what you and I might describe as a deep experience of God. He does talk in slightly cryptic and vague terms about some sort of childhood faith, but it didn't really survive, and I don't think it was actually very substantial. So I think it's best to say that really Lewis did not have an explicit religious commitment. And during the 1910s, when Lewis was a teenager, in fact, he became quite aggressively atheist. Um, he had a, a long friendship with Arthur Greaves, and Arthur Greaves was a Christian and they used to get into arguments. And, and Lewis was absolutely clear. Look, uh, science has disproved God's existence. Um, the, the, these ancient Greek myths, there's Christianity, and they're just examples of things we make up to try and make sense of life. So he was really very, very dismissive of Christianity. But I think the thing that really hardened his atheism was a First World War, because Lewis served in that. He was wounded in battle in northwest France. And his experience in the British Army during the First World War really made him very, very angry about God. Why does God allow this to happen? Look at all this devastation, all this pointless suffering. Um, I don't want to believe in a God like that. Nobody can. In fact, the First World War has permanently destroyed the rationality of religious belief. And for Lewis, that was really important. If you like, that was a moment of crystallization in which his earlier childhood anxieties about God came to the point of crystallizing into an explicit aggressive atheism. So that is the point from which Lewis had to move on from as he began his journey of faith. We're going to spend a whole podcast looking at what C.S. Lewis thought about pain and suffering. It's obviously, as you say, a huge thing for C.S. Lewis, a big objection as to why he couldn't believe in God initially. Um, I suppose in some senses that was a bit of rationalism but also quite an emotive response as well because it was through the suffering that he saw firsthand how did he reconcile the kind of rational side of his atheism and that emotional heartfelt it wasn't just one or the other was it I think Lewis felt that atheism was really rational Mm. it kind of way gave you a world which you could be absolutely secure and it was established by reason by science and he began to realize this is this is not actually very interesting. It does not answer big questions. It makes no appeal to the imagination. It does not engage the emotions. I think by the mid-1920s, Lewis was thinking something like this. Well, atheism is probably right, but it is so dull. <laughs> it just doesn't do anything for me. And that may have prompted him to begin to think, are, are there other possibilities? But, of course, Lewis, we must remember, was by this stage uh, an English don at Oxford University, sp- studying as his academic speciality, for example, the poetry people like John Donne and George Herbert. And in uh, his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, Lewis talks about the danger of reading books. <laughs> in effect, you might fall into traps. Uh, you know, he says a sound atheist has to be very, very careful about what you read because there are traps everywhere. And he found one trap in George Herbert because he realized that Herbert's 
way of thinking about life, his rendering of the quality of life experiences was just so good, it had to come from somewhere. And he said, I realized Herbert was informed by this Christian mythology, but it did seem to work very well. (laughs) And so you see Lewis here, though an atheist, beginning to realize there is something here that I need to think about further. So we have this realization on Lewis's part that a purely rational world is imaginatively dull. Mm. It's emotionally disconnected. And beginning to wonder if there was any way in which is deep intuitions. There has to be more than this. There's a bigger world beyond what we observe. And beginning to realize those were pointing him in certain directions. But that wasn't what led him to faith. It's what made him become receptive to faith. So we see that a little bit. What he's reading is dangerous and beginning to help him question his atheism. Um, He then obviously made the journey towards Christianity. It wasn't just one straightforward thing and there wasn't just one factor. What were some of the things along the way? He's obviously moved slightly away from his atheism through people like George, George Herbert, as you've just said. But what were some of the other factors along the way of moving C.S. Lewis towards the Christianity that he's so famous for today? I think Lewis discovered that there were a number of things that were impacting on his, his world. Obviously, he was reading books, and they were beginning to raise awkward questions. Obviously, Lewis, who was a very sociable person, had friends. And many of these people, like Owen Barfield, were beginning to ask questions, which he began to realize he couldn't answer. And these began to raise doubts in his mind about whether atheism was quite as intellectually robust as he had once thought it had. But I think in many ways, one of the things that began to impact significantly on Lewis was this feeling that there was a God who was approaching him, who in effect was really there, even though he didn't want God to be there. Lewis is absolutely clear, I do not want to believe in God at all, because (laughs) God interferes with things. I want to be independent. I want to be autonomous. But he had this realization, there seems to be some divine presence there it's coming towards me and if it's true and real I've got to acknowledge this and in effect recalibrate and rethink not just the way I think but also the way I live and so we see this process really reaching its climax in the late 1920s when Lewis finally realizes I can't go on as an atheist I need to in effect give in and give up and admit there really is a God. And, of course, we have that wonderful scene in Surprised by Joy where Lewis talks about, you know, getting down and praying, that, you know, the most reluctant convert in all England. It's a wonderful phrase. He didn't want this to be the case. <laughs> well, when confronted by truth, he felt, I've got no options here. As a matter of integrity, I need to respond. I need to embrace and I need to move on. Why do you think he was so reluctant? Because that's such an interesting phrase, isn't it? You'd think that if you become a Christian, it's because you've been compelled by the evidence or by an experience, and you're happy about that. But he quite famously said that if he wanted joy, he could find that at the bottom of a port bottle, didn't he? And, And in some senses, you get this sense that there's a real battle and maybe he wasn't happy about becoming uh, a Christian. Why do you think that was? Well, it's a very interesting question. I have friends who became Christians and they told me I wept tears 
of joy. Mm. I see nothing like that in Lewis. Lewis almost seems to be irritated, you know, <laughs> that, that he had to do this. Mm. But it's very much, in effect, part of this narrative. I didn't want the world to be like this, but I found out it was. And I had to adjust the way I thought and the way I lived to fit in with the way things really were. But what I think you see happening is that as Lewis grows into faith, particularly as he moves from simply believing in God to believing in Christianity, that's a very significant uh, point in his development of this realization that Christianity actually is able to deliver this joy which he so much yearned for. And I suppose partly in his conversion, but also through his works afterwards, we see that uh, the marrying of reason and imagination. And I think we often seem to think that they're two totally separate things. You're either a rational person or you're emotive and you're imaginative. But we see both in Lewis, don't we? We see him as an academic, but we also see him compelled by literature and and that being sort of part of his journey to get to Christianity. How do you think he reconciled both the reason and the imagination when it came to to the Christian faith. Well, you're right. I mean, I mean, Lewis does have the reason and the imagination. And it's not as if he's saying, oh, I need to include both reason and imagination. This is his natural way of thinking. He's uh, an intelligent, reflective person, but he's deeply aware of the importance of the imagination in visualizing a greater reality. And I think really is important that leads us into thinking about how Lewis, for example, constructed stories. But the point you're asking is really interesting because Lewis, in effect, makes the case that Christianity is rationally compelling and imaginatively exciting. And he has a very strong emphasis on on trying to hold these together because they belong together. And Lewis himself naturally held reason and imagination together. I think some of his readers might say, well, you know, you're either a rationalist or someone's into the imagination, which is interesting because if you're a very modern person emphasizing reason, you'll find lots to enjoy in Lewis. If you're a postmodern person, with this big emphasis on the imagination, there's lots there as well. So we have this really interesting situation that both moderns and postmoderns find something really interesting in Lewis to find and explore. How do you think C.S. Lewis would whittle down the meaning of life into one sentence? Is there one way that he would sum up what it means to, to live? I think Lewis um, is very good at one-liners, but he has very few one-liners on this particular topic, mainly because it's complex. And Lewis is, I think, a little bit hesitant about, in fact, taking something so wonderful, so rich, and trying to distill it into a single sentence. But for Lewis, one of the really important things is that Christianity illuminates our world. It helps understand where we are who we are, what we're meant to be doing. And very often he uses the imagery of light as if somebody illuminates a room or a landscape. We see what it's like. We realize how it pans out and where we're meant to be. So there is one sentence, I think, that is very apposite here. And it's right at the end of a lecture he gave in Oxford in 1944. And it goes like this. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And that actually is a very good nutshell summary of what Lewis thinks. It's about, in effect, a dark, gloomy, fuzzy, shadowy world being illuminated by the Christian faith. And you suddenly realize who you are, where you are, and you see the path you're meant to to be following. It's very rich and it doesn't say everything Lewis wants to say, but it's a great start. 
And I suppose what you're talking about there, that dark, fuzzy world and Christianity illuminating it, that totally makes sense in a post-war culture where people have experienced brokenness, pain. There's been a lot of death that people have seen firsthand, confusion, lots of questions around why all this is happening. Do you think people today are still searching for meaning in the same way that they were back then? I think people are always searching for meaning. They may do it in different ways. We've talked about a, a shadowy world, and that fits so well after the First World War, after the Second World War. But for a lot of people today, life is gloomy, it's dark, it's not clear what it's all about, and they are looking for clarification, for illumination. They might not use those words, but they're really looking for someone to say to them, this is what it's all about, this is who you are. And Lewis actually is very good. He very often tells stories to help us grasp what life is all about, thus, in effect, engaging the imagination. So I would say that um, the human condition doesn't really change. The way we express our deep fears and anxieties may change. We may feel, for example, today less less easy about opening up to these things but you can read Lewis on your own and you find he speaks to you about these deep and dark questions and gives you if you like glimmers of hope as you begin to try and move ahead. So I suppose there's no question that C.S. Lewis is still as relevant today as he always has been. But do you think if he was speaking in today's culture with all of the things that we're seeing around social media, mental health struggles, lots of lots of different things that they maybe weren't encountering in such a profound way back when C.S. Lewis was writing, do you think he would need to change his message around the meaning of life? Or do you think it's the same message just expressed slightly differently? I think Lewis basically has a very strong sense of what he wants to say. And he says it in ways that connected up very well from the 1940s and the 1950s, particularly in British culture. And obviously, many far beyond that time frame and that geographical locality, I found Lewis very exciting. And I often wonder, supposing Lewis was rewriting things right now, what would he do? I don't know. But <laughs> what I do know is that he's, he's able to find ways of diagnosing our situation and articulating it. Let me give you an example. One thing that Lewis um, talks about as a result of his conversion is this. He stopped keeping a diary. Now, if you're a Lewis scholar like me, you just say, why did you do that? I wish you hadn't, because, you know, it's really useful in working out what you've been doing and what you've been thinking and what you've been reading. But Lewis says, I stopped keeping a diary because it's all about me boosting myself, me thinking I'm important, me feeling that my diary is going to be enormously important for the future of world history. And Lewis felt that he no longer needed to justify himself, that actually he had found his security and his identity in God. And as a result, he no longer needed to maintain a facade as you do when you keep a diary. And I think that's really interesting in this age of social media, mm-hmm. where very often you're under constant pressure to present life as highly successful. Look, here's me in Malta. Look, here's me <laughs> having this wonderful meal in the center of London. Look, here's me dancing in Times Square. You know, <laughs> you know it's all about success, joy, happiness. Whereas in reality, life is tough. You're going through difficult times. Lewis Hank gives us an intellectual framework deeply rooted in the Christian faith, which says, look, be 
be what God wants you to be. You don't have to prove yourself. Uh, relax a bit. And that's what Lewis discovered. He stopped keeping a diary. Maybe we could learn something from that about social media. We don't need to keep proving ourselves. We can relax as Lewis would want us to because we've embraced by God. And that gives us identity and meaning and value. And that's what keeps us going. So do you think C.S. Lewis would have an Instagram profile? Um, His friends might set one up, (laughs) but I'm not sure Lewis himself would. I think that Lewis is always receding into the background. Lewis is very, very clear about what does a good author do, he said. Back in the 1920s, he says, a good author does not say, look at me. He says, look at what I've seen. In other words, I want to share with you the way of seeing the world I've discovered. So don't, don't look at me. Look at what I've found. I'm pointing to it. In other words, to use Lewis's own phrase, a good writer is not a spectacle who says, look at me. It's a set of spectacles who says, look through me. Which I suppose is completely the opposite of our selfie culture, which is very much around the person, isn't it? It's very much uh, in in a different direction to our selfie culture. And many would say, well, Lewis is terribly old-fashioned. But I think I would want to say, well, he may be old-fashioned, but maybe it's good to listen to older voices. Because one of Lewis's major themes is it may be old, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. It means it's still there and we need to think about it. Yeah, he said, didn't he, that if it's existed this long, there's a reason it's existed this long and there must be wisdom in that. He's just making the point that very often we think today, we think rightly, everyone else has got wrong. They're so passe, you know. What Lewis is saying, no, 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 there may be wisdom in the past. Let's revisit it because we might learn something that we've lost or forgotten or even suppressed. I think he's right. I'm not saying we, in effect, become archaic and backward-looking. He's saying always be aware there are alternatives. Some of them have been tried out and they seem to work. Why not try them again? Maybe his social media profiles, if he had one, would just be lots of old wisdom, books that impacted him, people's quotes, that sort of thing. Not so much about what he's eaten that day, how many cups of tea he's had with Warney. (laughs) Or even it might be a photograph of a library with some of his favourite books there. Maybe, a bit like the books we've got here. (laughs) I suppose it's easy to see that C.S. Lewis would resonate with someone who is looking at the intellectual grounds for Christianity, looking at some of the proofs for Jesus rising from the dead, or or the more sort of obviously rational things that we're thinking about. But I suppose he also, as as we've talked about already, has, has a big emotional appeal and that was part of his own conversion, imagination, things like that. If, if there was a young girl who was deeply distressed in the throes of depression and crying out, what is the meaning of life? Why am I even here? If C.S. Lewis was to speak into her situation, what do you think he'd say? Well, Lewis, of course, had quite a long life. And during that long life, he went through some very dark moments, including, of course, the death of his wife from cancer. And we know from the narrative we find in uh, A Grief Observed, which came out in 1961, that he went through exactly those concerns, a feeling of utter despondency, emotional bleakness, and just feeling there's no point in going on. But he did. And one of the things that kept him going was a thought that he articulates very clearly in that book, which is, look, um, I feel I'm abandoned. I feel I'm going through suffering and nobody knows, nobody cares. But actually, hasn't Christ done that already? 
And can't I take comfort from knowing he's been through what I am going through now? And so Lewis, in effect, begins to develop his approach of seeing Christ as illuminating the path of suffering and accompanying you as you go through it to the other side. Because Lewis, we need to remember, rediscovered his faith vibrantly after this very sad episode. So I think Lewis has things to say to people like that, and they are worth listening to. We've covered uh, quite a big subject in a very small time there. Alistair, if we want to know more about what C.S. Lewis thought about the meaning of life, his perception of Christianity and how it illuminated the rest of everything that he was thinking about, what are some of the things that we could go and read? Well, as you know, Lewis wrote an awful lot. (laughs) Um, So let me try and just be helpful and focus down on one book, which I think really begins to engage with so many of the questions we've been talking about in our discussion. I think I'm going to recommend Mere Christianity. And the reason is very simple. First of all, he touches on so many of these questions. But secondly, of course, it's the book version of a series of short radio talks. The chapters are each radio talks. They're very short. They're easy to read. And actually, I think you see Lewis. Lewis at his best, explaining things concisely, succinctly, engagingly. And I would say that's a wonderful place to start. Not to stop, but to start, because it really begins to open up Lewis's mind to you, and you get a glimpse of what more there is in store. And it's a great place to begin your study of Lewis. Alistair, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the first ever episode of the C.S. Lewis podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath. I'm Ruth Jackson, and if you enjoyed this podcast, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. If you would like to get your hands on a free copy of one of Alistair's books about C.S. Lewis, then we would love you to post about this new C.S. Lewis podcast on social media. Use the hashtag C.S. Lewis podcast on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and include a link to our website, cslewispodcast.com. Over this first series of the C.S. Lewis podcast, Alistair and I will be looking at some of Lewis's thoughts around significant topics, such as stories, suffering, and the hope of heaven. Next week, we will be talking about friendship, so keep your eyes peeled for the podcast on Easter Monday, which is the 5th of April. 